What would it mean if you could live your best life? Is there any such thing as living your best life? Is that a term anyone's heard lately? Is it possible to live your best life? Do only a few people get to live their best life and the rest of us just live life? Does coronavirus mean that I can no longer live my best life? I was living my best life and then along come coronavirus. What do you think about, what do you think of when I even use the term living your best life? Is it holidaying on Morton Island with friends? It's pretty good, I must say. It's pretty good. Um, you know, is it, is it what you're going to do on the other side of that breakup? No, we won't even go there. Is it, is it the photos, um, you know, hashtag living my best life that you're seeing on social media? You know, the, my, my best life is mashed avo on toast. We want people to think we're living our best life. Well, so many people seem to want people to think they're living their best life. We, we take the best pictures of our life and we put them on social media. Or is the whole notion of living your best life a load of rubbish? Is, it, is the whole idea of living your best life, is it even possible? Is, that, is this just a, you know, is it just kind of like a, a figment of our imagination? Well, my mum, my mum lived her best life. Now, I don't want to idealise my mother this morning. She wouldn't want that. Let me tell you just for a moment about my mum's life. My mum had minimal education, grew up as a farmer's daughter, worked very hard, and I mean she worked very hard. She raised five kids. One of them, I have to say, is an exceptional child, grew into a wonderful human being. had a lot of health challenges. I think roughly, I think approximately 10 major surgeries in her life. When she was about 35 years of age, she was given the choice of having um, major, major surgery and having a 50-50 chance of living or if she didn't have the surgery, would not live past the age of 50. And at the age of 35, with then three children, she made the decision to have the operation, went in and uh, she survived it. She was quite talented in many ways, and, but many of her talents were never ever reali really realised or, you know, never, never really um, taken to their full potential. Um, she was not famous, although she is now, I'm telling you about her. She never made the news, and then she died of a brain tumour at the age of 73. And yet at her funeral, which was literally, literally in a little outpost hall out in the sticks, miles from nowhere, 250 people came from all around the place to honour my mum. Because she had lived her best life. Do you know, it's possible to live your best life. Last week, 
I talked about, you know, in this current time, some of the things that we need to do. And one of the things we need to do, as I said, we need to do this, we need to let it bring the best out of us and not the worst out of us. Talked about the fact that it's bringing the worst out of a lot of us, but we need to let it bring the best out of us. Well, what does that mean? Is it, I want to say today that it's possible for it to bring the best out of you. So what is your best life? What is it? And if, and once I know what it is, well then, can I live it? Yes, you can. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, a little bit of context, is talking about when life ceases as we know it. When everything is stripped away. And even when, yes, even when life itself ends. When, when life is boiled down to its pure essence, like everything else is gone, it's just, what's left? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us what remains. And it says this, if we could put it up, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now these three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. Everyone say that. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But what does the last bit say? But the greatest of these is love. Now, I have to say this morning that faith is amazing. I think faith's pretty all right. I want to be a man of faith. Does anyone here want to be known as a person of faith? I think faith is awesome. Can't please God without it. This must be pretty important. Hebrews 11, the Bible in Hebrews 11, honors a whole hall of faith and it talks about all the great men and women of faith down through the ages. Faith is up there. We did a whole series but when, during COVID on how God builds your faith. Does anybody remember that? Faith is amazing. Faith is, faith is wonderful. Hope, hope, man. You've got to love hope, don't you? I mean, hope is essential. I mean, it's, hope is so important. That so, there are so many churches named hope. Hope Church, if you want to call it, never mind. Hope. Hope means that tomorrow you have hope that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Hope is oxygen for your soul. Jeremiah says that God wants to give you a hope and a future. Let me tell you, those two words are married together. Without hope, you're not going to have much of a future. So hope is, hope is amazing. Hope is essential for tomorrow. But as great as faith is, and would you agree that faith is great? And as great as hope is, and would you agree that hope is great? I hope so. As great as hope and faith are, something is even greater, and it's love. Love is even greater than faith and hope. And we love faith, and we love to talk about hope. But let me tell you, love is even greater than both of them. You see, when everything else is stripped away, it's how you love that remains. It's love that matters. And that's why 250 people, obviously it wasn't during COVID, but that's why 250 people came to honour my mum. Why? They all said the same thing. They were touched by her love. My mum knew how to love 
and because my mum knew how to love, even though she never accomplished a lot, even though there's a whole lot of things, the average person wouldn't have even given a second glance, she lived her best life because she knew how to love. God wants you to live your best life. You can live your best life. I want you also to live your best life. And your best life is a loving life. Come on, why don't you say that? My best life is a loving life. That's what your best life is. And so uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn what love looks like. We're going to look at the most famous chapter in the Bible about love. It's called the love chapter. We've already read the end of it. It was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who had a revelation. This comes out of his heart. He just didn't kind of... He, he, this comes out of his heart. He had a revelation of faith, hope and love. He was running away from faith, hope and love in so many ways. But and Paul, Paul has a revelation of this and he writes it. And it's, listen, the love chapter as it's known as 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just secret, newsflash. It's not just written for weddings. As good as it is at weddings, it's very relevant at weddings. But can I just say, it's written to the church. It's written to the church in Corinth. And in the chapter of Corinthians 13, Paul teaches us all about love. And we're going to give an introduction to it this morning. But I think before we just get to the first few verses, I think it's really important that we understand and look at the context that 1 Corinthians 13 is in. Because context gives it weight, it gives it value that it otherwise wouldn't have. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 comes in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. You got it. You got it. You guys are sharp, I'm telling you. 1 Corinthians 13 comes in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the incredible gifts that God has given to the church. It, it, and and it's listed, it lists them out and it talks about the gift of tongues, talks about the gift of prophecy and, and the gift of faith and the gift of knowledge. And don't, man, is there anyone here that believes in any of those gifts today? Okay, we believe in Pentecost, we don't believe that the gifts finished at the end of the apostles, but the gifts are still there for us today to utilize. And so, Rome, sorry, Corinthians 12 is all about the gifts but Corinthians 14, it, it's all about how to use them and how, do they, how they're to be stewarded and how that we uh, exercise those gifts. But in the middle of those, that whole treatise on the gifts of the Spirit and the gifts that God's given to the church and how we use them and act as a church, right bang in the middle, Paul suddenly his whole language changes, the rhythm changes, and he starts to write this chapter on love. And he says, he's basically saying this, he says, without all of these, with all of these gifts and everything else that's going on, if we don't have love, we've missed the whole point. That's the context. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to forensically examine what love is. But today, as I said, it's an introduction, it's a setup. And so Paul here starts off in 1 Corinthians 13... He basically makes the same point five times. How many know that when a speaker wants to make a point, they'll wants to really get something, they'll repeat themselves. And in the Bible, that's even more so. And Paul makes this same point five different ways. Now, let's just read it. 
Let's read 1 Corinthians. We're going to start chapter 12, 31. And then we're going to go through to verse 13. Here we go. Paul says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. Church in Corinth, you excel in a whole lot of things. Man, you've got the gifts and they're cooking. You're, you're, you're a very Pentecostal church. You're, you've got everything going on. You, but now I want to show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Zero. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, sorry, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 13. But now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul here in the first three verses basically makes the same point five different times. And his point is this, if I don't live a life of love, I am nothing. If I don't live a life of love, my life doesn't add up to much at all. In fact, let's put it this way, if I don't live a life of love, my life is worth a big fat zero. They're not quite how Paul puts it, but that's basically in essence what he's saying. You're not going to live your best life, right? So here's what he's saying, and he says it in a number of different ways. Firstly, he says this, he says, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I say will matter. That's pretty disconcerting for a preacher. Basically, it doesn't matter what my words are, it doesn't matter what I say. If I don't live a life of love, my words become worthless and empty. They have no weight. You can even preach the gospel to someone, but if you don't love the person you're preaching the gospel to, your words become worthless. He says, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I say will matter. He says, nothing I know will matter. You can have incredible Bible knowledge. In fact, can I just say this very carefully, but some of the most doctrinally correct people are some of the most unloving people I've ever met. Some people who know their Bible so well and can explain to you the finer doctrines of Christianity are some of the most unloving people, some of the most hard people I've met when it comes to loving people. The Pharisees were, of which Paul was one, they were incredibly knowledgeable. They, they, they knew so much. And yet we read about, often you read in the New Testament, and it staggers me, it says, and they flogged them in the synagogue. In other words, they took them to church and they whipped them, and they thought they were doing God a favour. Ever been flogged in church? That's another story. But nothing I know will matter. They reckon knowledge doubles about every six years. Have, you know, with all the knowledge, the world still has the same old problems. Wars, terrorism, crime, abuse, hatred, etc. The world needs more love. 
Paul says, nothing I believe will matter. Some people think following Jesus is just about believing. Paul is basically saying this, I, I don't care what you believe. Do you love? Do you love people? Nothing, he goes on, he says, nothing I give will matter. We can give for so many different reasons. We can give for return. We can give out of guilt. We can give to control, which is not really giving, it's exchanging. We can give for prestige and honor to get my name on the plaque. How many of you know you can buy, you can give, you can buy your spouse everything, you can buy your kids everything, but the thing they want to know the most is, do you love me? You can give for a whole lot of reasons, but the thing they want to know most is, do you love me? Is it motivated by love? And, for, and lastly, nothing I, oh, this, this, this really in Western culture, nothing I accomplish will matter. Surely the best life is a life full of accomplishments. We put accomplishments on a pedestal, am I right? Paul basically says, with all your accomplishments, you are bankrupt without love. Paul is not promoting to live a life lacking in accomplishments. Paul accomplished a lot. Paul had, Paul had, um, what's the word? Paul had ambition. He said, it's my ambition to preach the gospel where no one has preached the gospel before. And he accomplished it. He planted churches all around the Mediterranean rim. But listen, in all of that, he says, with all my accomplishments, if I don't have love, it was nothing. It's worth nothing. So Paul, he's using what we would call hyperbole. He's trying to, he's trying to, He's driving at something. He's wanting us to get this. And so he says the same thing five different ways, and he uses, he's going to the extremes. You know, if I could move mountains, and, you know, if I could do all these things, if I had all the wisdom and knowledge of it, if I could. So in, in a nutshell, he's basically saying, if I have the element, if the elements, if I have the eloquence of an orator, if I have the knowledge of a genius, the generosity of a philanthropist, the achievements of a superstar, but if I don't have a loving heart, it's worth zero. Wow. I think Paul's making it clear. What do you say? Once Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What was his answer? He gave two. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Your life and my life will be evaluated on the basis of my relationships. How much did you love me and how much did you love other people? Galatians 5 and verse 6, listen to what it says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, big question, what is love? I want to know what love is. Oh, we started the front row. Look out. I want to feel... Oh, never mind. I don't take singing engagements, by the way. Now you know why. What is love? Is it a feeling? A quiver in my liver? An ocean of emotion? Whatever. <laughs> Someone said it makes me feel giddy. My head's spinning. And I feel weak at the knees. So I think you're seasick. Never mind. So... You, your love, love has feelings, okay, but is love a feeling? Um, is love uncontrollable? 
common, common, common description of love is they what? They fell. Fallen in love. I've fallen in love. I just couldn't help it. I've fallen in a lot of things in my life and it's generally called an accident. A few weeks ago, I fell off my bike. When people say, I've fallen in love, what they're really saying is, it's not my fault. <laughs> Just kind of happened. And uh, the problem with falling in love is, if you can fall into love, you can just as easily what? You got it. So what is love? And this is, I'll just give you a few things here this morning, just to get us started. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to get into the patient, kind, envy, etc., etc. Because we want to know what love is, right? Who wants to live their best life? Can anyone live their best life? Absolutely they can. So just let me give you these three easy things. Love is a command, not a suggestion. Love is actually a commandment. It's called the greatest commandment. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? His response to that was, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Sounds like a command to me, right? It's a commandment. Underlines the truth that love is not a feeling. Because you cannot command feelings. I remember when I was a kid, I'd come to the table and it was one of my dad's favorite lines. I'd be sulking about something and I'd be sitting at the table with a long face and dad would say, what are you so unhappy about? Put a smile on your face. Anybody remember that? Anybody, who else's father or mother said that to him? Yeah, I've got a few hands going up. Yeah, I can see someone's dobbing in a mum here. <laughs> what are you so unhappy about? Come on, put a smile on your face. <laughs> Love isn't a feeling, but listen, it creates feelings, it produces feelings, and it creates emotions. But it's not a feeling. It's not, in its essence, love is not a feeling. It's a command. You see, one of the things we're going to look at is love is, love is patient. Oh, I'm feeling so patient this morning. You know, love is long-suffering. Oh, I'm just feeling so long-suffering. I've just got an overwhelming feeling of long-sufferingness. How many of you ever feel long-suffering? How many people ever feel patient? Sometimes. Okay. So love is not a feeling, it's a command. Secondly, love is a choice. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, just following on straight after the love chapter, it goes straight to follow the way of love. So if you can follow the way of love, it means you can also follow the way of not loving. It's a path to be followed. It's a choice. We choose to love or not to love. You see, love is giving a person what they need, not what they deserve. And that's what God does for us. See, the kind of love we're talking about today is not sentimentality or an emotional kind of love, even though love has those feelings attached to it. But we're talking about a God kind of love. 
And the God kind of love, and that doesn't mean that God doesn't have feelings or anything towards us. It simply means that love is not a feeling. It's not based on feeling. It's a choice. And God loves us. He didn't give us what we want. Sorry, he didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we need. And that's called grace. Am I right? That's what God gave us. It's giving with a guarantee of not getting back. Of, sorry, it's giving without a guarantee of getting back. And I don't have time to go into the nuances of all these. And, and I, know, I know you could offer count. But in essence, this morning, this is what it is. It's a command. It's a choice. And number three, love is a conduct. It has a way of acting. 1 John 3 verse 18 it says, dear children, let us, not, let, us, let us not love with word or speech, but what? With actions and with the right motivation. Let us love with action. What is that action? What is the conduct of love? And here we have, I think, one of the purest definitions of what love is. The God kind of love. You ready for it? Love is an act of self sacrifice and Ben touched on it this morning with his communion but love is ultimately an act of self-sacrifice famous verse in the Bible what is it okay does anybody else know what the favorite famous verse in the Bible is it's John 3 16 what does it say for God so no actually we need to read that right for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love you guys, but if there was a fire in the church, I'll tell you, when my kids were little, you guys would have been the first ones I would have gone for with my kids, right? That's an incredible kind. If you've ever doubted your value or if you are loved by God, look at what he, look at what he was willing to give for you so that you could come and be a part of his family, be in close to him. For God so loved. That's called self-sacrifice, right? That he gave. In John 13, we're not going to look at it because of time, but in John 13, when it's the story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And it says at the start, it says, Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus showed them the full, of ex full extent of his love. He gets up and he puts a towel around himself and he gets down and starts to wash the disciples' feet. Self-sacrifice. It's the essence of love, it's self-sacrifice. He got down, began to wash the feet of his disciples. And then if we go over to verse 34 of the same chapter, immediately after that, he says this. He says, a new command I give you. I think there's the word command in there again. Is that a command? He says, a new command. Oh, well, it's back again. Command, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. So obviously, even just reading that, it's more than a feeling, right? Talk to me. It's a choice. It's a response. It's a conduct. John 15, 13. Love is an act of self-sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this. To lay what? Down one's life for One's friend. Wow. Love is self-sacrifice. Love is a command. Love is a choice. And love is a conduct.
also a commitment, but we'll talk about that another time. So we're going to learn over the next few weeks a lot more about love. But this morning, I just want us to understand this, that when everything is stripped away, when we no longer know life as it used to be, these three things remain. Faith, how good is it that we've got faith? Hope, how good is it that we've got hope? And love. And the greatest of these is love. God, help us to live our best life and be people who know how to love. You can live your best life. Your best life is not limited by coronavirus. Your less, in fact, coronavirus is an incredibly amazing opportunity to bring out the best life in you. It's an opportunity to show love almost like no other. When we, every week when we gather together, we're surrounded by so much opportunity and we'll see what it all means, but we're surrounded by so much opportunity to live our best life. Live our best life. And no, it's not about how much is on display. It's not about what you say or what you do or what you give. But it's about our relationships and how we love one another. That's living your best life. It's not, thank goodness it's not just sentimentality because, man, that's going to count quite a few out of us because we think, well, that's, you know, I'm, I just don't. It's not a feeling, it's, it's, it's a choice. It's a command, it's a choice, and it's a conduct. They're decisions about making that you make that's going to show and display God kind of love. And when we do, we live our best life. Aren't you glad you can live your best life? You know, as the church, if we want to live the best life, if we want to really reflect God, if we want to really reflect the head of the church, we are the body of Christ. If we want to reflect the head, we, in fact, it's, a dis, it's meant to be a distinguishing mark and feature, an identification mark of the church. You will know that they are my disciples because of their love for one another. And that's just not like, oh, we all feel so gooey and warm. We all feel so, no, 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 no. It's in our actions. It's in the way in which we love, serve, give, do those things that Jesus showed us. And you can live your best life. I can feel this morning, whenever I hear messages like this, if it has the same effect on you as it has on me, and it's kind of like, I, I just come so short. I can't do that. And do you know what? In your own strength, you can't. But you and I have the most amazing source at our disposal 
to be able to love people with this kind of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and we're done. It says, whoever does not love does not know God. Wow. Because what? God is. He's the essence. He's the initiator. God is love. Come on, where you are, just put your Bibles down for a minute or whatever you've got in your hands and just say, Father in heaven, help me to become a more loving person. Father, help me to live my best life. Maybe some of you this morning need to arrange some priorities. And Paul's not, as I said, Paul's not calling us to live a You know, where we never say anything, we never do anything, we never accomplish anything. Paul is not saying that. He's just saying that the most important thing is that we do it from a loving heart. And I wonder this morning if some of us need to rearrange some priorities and say, Jesus, thank you for showing me how to love. Selfless sacrifice. Jesus, help me to love others as you have loved me. Help me to exemplify that. Jesus, be my source. Come on, just ask him today. Say, Jesus, be, be, be my source. Help, that, help me to be a, a conduit, a channel. Truly love people. Truly love the unlovely, lovely. Not just to love the ones that are easy to love, but truly to love people. Help me to love my spouse. Help me to love my kids. Help me love my mother-in-law. Help me love my father-in-law. Help me love my neighbor. Help me love my relatives. Help me love the people in my life group. Help me love the people in my church. Help me to love the people in my workplace. That I can live my best life. And Father, over the next few weeks, as we look at what this means, the actions of love, Father, I pray that we would be forever changed because of it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You're looking forward to the next few weeks? I trust you are. Very, very rubber hits the road kind kind of thing. Just before we finish, I just wonder if there are people here that, you know, as I said, Jesus gave the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. He gave his life. On the cross, his arms out wide, he's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And this morning, maybe today you've you've sort of, you know, you you don't have to earn God's love. He already loves you. There's nothing you can do to cause him to love you more. We think that on our best day, that man, he must somehow, he, he probably loves me a little bit more today than he did last week when, whew. Maybe on our, be, on our worst day when we've really, really come up short, when we really feel like we've, oh man, it's like, how could God possibly love me? See, that's, that's human love. God loves with unconditional love. Doesn't change. It's not dependent upon your good day or your bad day. He loves you, period. How many of you are glad about that? And from that confidence, from that position today, 
you can respond to him and say, Jesus, I love you. And maybe today you've never received his love. You've, you've never invited him into your life. You know, in Revelations, it says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. He knocks and, and, and there's, there's not a handle there. He doesn't open the handle. It's, it's, only, it's you that can open the door. It says if you open the door of your heart, if you invite him in, he'll come in and he'll have fellowship with you. Communion with you. Relationship with you. It's what he wants. Just simply this morning, just pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I want to know you. Thank you that you love me. So much that you died for me and you forgave me. Thank you that you live again. I thank you that you live in my heart now. Jesus, be my saviour and be my Lord and be my friend. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, please tell someone that you know or at the next step stand, they would love to be able to just help you take your next step. Let someone know. We'd be just thrilled to hear about it. And for the rest of us this morning, God help us to be people who know how to love, right? So we'll probably have opportunity to exercise that right at the end of this service. The way we file out and the way we look after each other and you go first. No, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. Would somebody go out the door? So the service is finished. We can leave and go out. We've got morning tea out there. Uh, please take some time to have fellowship and then we want to clear the building um, by about 10 past quarter past so that the next lot coming in can have a car park and uh, God bless you so glad you come this morning come on just before you leave put your hand over your heart Father I pray this morning that your word would just sink deep in Lord it would become a part of us today let your word not return void I pray in Jesus name minister to your people today we thank you for your love in Jesus name Amen